This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of the May Rip, the Middle East Report studio in Washington, D.C. Check out our website, districtsentinel.com. Going to get to the newscast here in just a moment. Two topics to get to off the top. One, a big news story. The other, an even bigger news story. First, Kirsten Nielsen out as head of the Department of Homeland Security. She uh, will be replaced by, at least temporarily, by uh, the head of Customs and Border Protection, um, Kevin McElneenan, who is now the acting uh, chief of the DHS, another acting head there, just as Trump likes it, another acting administrator. Now I have DHS that has an acting administrator. Uh, the Pentagon has an acting administrator, and a handful of other departments uh, at the moment. So uh, Kirsten Nielsen, how long until she's uh, selling private prisons for like three million bucks a year salary here in D.C.? And will MSNBC invite her Ooh. on to make Ooh. the case for her private prisons? Our new, our new MSNBC contributor, Kirsten Nielsen, folks. Uh, I won't be surprised by any of that. The other big story to get to tomorrow, folks. Tomorrow we will be unveiling the worst tweet tournament 2019 brackets. What we're going to do, we have 32 tweets. 31 plus last year's winner, David Frum. He'll be included again. We'll see if any of the uh, new tweets since our last tournament have been any worse than what we crowned as the worst tweet of all time, David Frum's tweet. Um, So we're going to unveil the brackets on Twitter on Tuesday, and we're going to have a preliminary period where you all can make suggestions or in case we missed a tweet, uh, we can make some last changes to the brackets And then uh, we're going to get voting underway later this week on that thing. So uh, stay tuned. At Worst Damn Tweet on Twitter. Follow it right now. At Worst Damn Tweet. Worst Tweet Tournament 2019. Coming up. Yeah, just a reminder that we are looking for a special kind of bad tweet. It has to be viscerally bad on its own. It can't really be something that you need to offer 10 explanations for. Yeah. Uh, it can't, it shouldn't really be the title of an article. Yeah. That's that a generated a lot of interest yeah. was the guy who said we should replace all libraries with Amazon's. And that was the title of his article. So when he shared his article, it created a tweet that, I mean, by all accounts, it is one of the worst tweets that have ever been generated, but it's because it was auto-generated from the title of his article. I'm not sure it's going to count this year. We need stuff like the, well, I don't want to spoil too much. Obviously, the Beto O'Rourke calves cramping tweet. That's in there. That's in there. We need stuff like that. Stuff like the necrophilia is good tweet from From last last year. year, Yeah, yeah. And... Just stuff that if you were to read it to a random person who is not on the awful godforsaken website, they will get that it is bad. Yeah, indeed, bad. All right, so that's coming out tomorrow at Worst Damn Tweet. Until then, it's Monday, April 8th, 2019. Here's the news. 
The Trump administration declared that Iran's Revolutionary Guard is a terrorist organization. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced the move this morning, saying the designation will be effective one week from today. This is the first time that a state arm has been named as a terrorist organization by the United States government. When asked how this would impact European commerce, because the Revolutionary Guard is involved with most aspects of Iran's economy, Pompeo issued a warning to those doing business in Iran. Quote, so here's the simple answer to that. If you're the general counsel for a European financial institution today, there is more risk. It's hard to not see this as anything but intensifying economic warfare, or at least trying to. Yeah. Advocates of President Obama's Iran deal condemn the move as dangerous. Trita Parsi, head of the National Iranian American Council, said the designation, quote, won't put any real new economic pressure on Iran, but it will close yet another potential door for peacefully resolving tensions with Iran. This obviously most satisfies the governments of Saudi Arabia and Israel and moves us closer to another war. But let's not talk about the outsized influence of the Israel lobby. Oh, no. No, let's not do that. Uh, I saw that in response, Iran declared the U.S. Army a terrorist organization, which pretty good argument to be made. <laughs> yeah. For that. They should have done that years ago. What took them so long? Yeah. The number of government leaks referred to the Department of Justice as a crime has exploded in recent years in response to a Freedom of Information Act request from journalist Stephen Aftergood with the Federation of American Scientists. The Department of Justice released numbers showing there were 88 leak referrals made to the department in 2018 and 120 referrals from, from leaks made in 2017. So these aren't incidental leaks or uh, these aren't purposeful leaks. Some, you know, we know the government loves to leak all the time. These are occurrences of individuals spilling unauthorized secrets and the administration referring those secrets for potential criminal investigation. Maybe uh, I wonder if this counts as the uh, the op-ed. Remember the op-ed? Hmm. I hear a lot of people uh, on the news today saying Kirsten Nielsen wrote the op-ed, obviously. I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. Why Why would it be obvious? Yeah. It would have been obvious if she resigned that, yeah, after like the op-ed was written. Yeah. People are going to be talking about that fucking op-ed for years. Remember the op-ed. Um, so, yeah, there's been a dramatic increase uh, during the Trump administration in these uh, referrals for investigation, the previous high was just 55 in 2013. And in 2015, there were only eight leak referrals. Again, there were 120 in 2017. Uh, the previous high of 55 in 2013, that was during the Obama administration, which was notorious for aggressively prosecuting leakers. Remember, they used the uh, Espionage Act to go after uh leakers more times than any other administration in the freaking history of the country. And beyond the fact that there are more leaks happening and that the government is making more referrals because of those leaks, the data doesn't tell much else, like exactly what kind of information is being leaked from what departments and whether or not any of these leak referrals actually led to an FBI criminal investigation. I remember how during the Obama administration, the uh, big topic of discussion or one of the big topics of discussion was uh, the administration's hostility to leakers. And uh, Glenn Greenwald 
like talking about that. I wonder if anyone would leak him the Mueller report <laughs> now that he spent so much time saying don't no, no need no, no need to read it. No need. Today the Federal Reserve opened public comment on two proposals to water down regulations on banks, including large banks. Of course. One lessens rules on foreign banks, another pertains to living wills. Those are the resolution plans on how firms would wind themselves up in bankruptcy to prevent bailouts like those from 2008, or at least to try to. You like to say wind up instead of wind down. I, is there, I didn't really uh, know that there was a difference. I I don't know if there is either. (laughs) Either way, the Board of Governors (laughs) met today to roll out the proposals. Lael Brainerd, a liberal Fed governor, said the proposals are reckless in starting with the one on foreign banks. She noted that foreign banks tend to ship dollars at home. Excuse me. She noted that foreign banks tend to ship dollars home during times of stress because the U.S. dollar is so important on global markets. And that could cause problems unique to financial markets in the United States. Here was Brainerd at the board meeting today. Leading into the crisis, dollar lending from U.S. branches to their foreign parents grew to very high levels, and it's important to remind ourselves that during the crisis, foreign branches were among the most active users of discount window borrowing. The disc- I mean, to be honest, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't hit up that discount window if you could? It's like negative interest rates. Yeah, it's uh, something that uh, the Fed uses to relieve distressed banks, which... It would be chill if we all had the discount window. Just rolling up to that discount window. I'll be back, guys. <laughs> we talk about. They're gonna hand me thousands of dollars, and I only have to pay them back like eight hundred dollars. I feel like if we get postal banking, we will definitely be one yeah. step closer to that discount window, which is very <laughs> crucial to all of this. Brainerd then turned to the living will proposal. She noted how it would force banks to think much less about a possible collapse. And that even moves to deregulate smaller banks are dangerous. Under the proposal, banks with $250 billion to $700 billion in assets would require a full resolution plan only once every six years. And most domestic banking organizations in the range of $100 to $250 billion in assets would no longer be required to file a resolution plan at all. It's important to remind ourselves that it isn't only the failure of the largest and most systemic firms that pose a risk to the financial system. During the crisis, the failures of large banks in the 100 to $250 billion asset size range necessitated distress acquisitions. And the failure of a large banking organization with roughly $300 billion in assets triggered substantial spillovers. It's that domino effect. It's uh, <clears throat> the classic example from last decade is nationwide the mortgage originator that wasn't all that big itself but it it issued so many shitty mortgages that they yeah. just spread like a disease throughout the financial system so watering down rules on smaller banks it has ruined people it will ruin people again the proposal comes at an interesting time for the fed On Saturday, the Washington Post profiled the weakening of financial regulations under the Trump administration. The article described how the market for corporate debt is resembling the housing market before the subprime collapse, which is extremely good. The Post story also noted the role of Congress and Wall Street 
Most remarkably, how Trump actually tried but failed to nominate a very capable career regulator to serve on the Fed board. Nellie Liang had previously led the central bank's Office of Financial Stability. And despite, or actually more likely because of her experience, Wall Street objected. Reading from the story, quote, Banking industry lobbyists whipped up opposition to Liang, persuading some Republicans on the Senate Banking Committee to block her confirmation, according to five people involved in the process. In January, she announced she was withdrawing from consideration after it became clear she could not win Senate confirmation. And then the Post noted, since then, Trump nominated none other than Herman fucking Cain. <laughs> And Stephen Moore to serve as Fed governors. Amazing. So the financial sector, uh, extremely good right now. Extremely good and very healthy. Not to uh, further beat this topic to death, but when I think of a bank getting wound down, I think of a bank selling off its assets, closing down. When I think of a bank getting wound <laughs> up, I think of it like about to go nuts and start gambling all over the place again. I think it might have to do with uh, British English and mm. possibly uh, uh, some economics professor I may have had at one point or something. If you, the listener, have some input, call the rant line, 202-684-6108. Finally today, amid all the evil shit the Trump administration is regularly doing, it's also doing some just real dickish shit, too. Like today, when the White House nixed the burgeoning deal worked out between Major League Baseball and the Cuban Baseball Federation. Mm. The agreement, which was worked out during the Obama administration and recently took effect, allows Cuban-born players to legally play in the states without having to give up their Cuban citizenship. It allowed players to earn 100% of their signing bonus as long as a fee equivalent to 25% of that bonus was also paid to the Cuban Baseball Federation. It also uh, required players to pay Cuban income taxes on their salaries. But then everything was above board. They didn't have to dangerously flee to come over here to play, and they could keep their citizenship. The deal was worked out amid improving relations at the end of the Obama administration between Havana and Washington. And it was taking off. Just as of last week, Cuban baseball released the names of 34 eligible players under this agreement. But the Trump administration has worked to undo much of the progress made in Cuba. And on Monday, the White House claimed that the Cuban Baseball Federation was a part of the Cuban government. Thus, any trade with it is illegal. An, administra an administration official told the Washington Post that the deal was akin to human trafficking because words have no meaning whatsoever. This is so fucked up. Yeah. I really feel for those, uh, for those ball players who looked like they were going to live out their dream and not have to completely risk up, their life to up in their here. lives yeah. yeah well that'll do it for the show today as i said earlier call the rant line 202-684-6108 leave a message we'll play it on air thanks to our sponsors the congressional dish podcast hosted by jen briney find it at congressionaldish.com another sponsor the middle east report find it at m-e-r-i-p Org. If you like this show and want to catch it four days a week, consider subscribing over at Patreon, patreon.com slash district sentinel, five bucks a month. You'll get access to all sorts of bonus content, regular newscast, plus you'll get your own poem read on the air, a haiku written by 
one of the two Sams. We also have other tiers where you can get a shout out at the end of the show or advertise with us. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel. We're back tomorrow. We're here in D.C. so that you don't have to be.